Hello everyone, I'm Troy Dodds and welcome to the On The Record podcast presented by the Western Weekender. On this podcast I'm joined by special guests who all have such great stories to tell about Penrith and the role they've played in our city. They are Penrith stories told by Penrith people. Today my special guest is Penrith Panthers legend Mark Geyer. MG won the premiership with Penrith in 1991 and post footy has gone on to a successful media and business career. But it has been a roller coaster ride. I hope you enjoy our chat. MG, thanks for joining us. Hello. Hello, Dodzy, my man. Great to see you, as always. You've always got a big smile on your face, and uh, it's my my absolute pleasure to be with you today. Good to see you, and of course, in the MG Active Jumper as well, which we'll <laughs> talk to, uh, about that a, a little bit later. Born on, of course, the 7th of December, 1967. Where were you born? Where did you grow up? Uh, I was born in uh, Auburn Hospital, and uh, my mum and dad, my mum was 16 when she had me. Dad was nearly nineteen, and uh, they. I, for my first two years of life, I lived in a granny flat at the back of uh, my nan's house um, in Guildford, and then moved out to Wayland when I was uh, two and a half to a, um, a street called Karama Crescent. Lived there um, predominantly until I was about seventeen. Then met the love of my life, who I'm still married to now, and um, Megan Alexander. Moved in with the moved in with the, the Alexanders and basically they haven't got rid of me since. So <laughs> yeah, it's been look. So I'm a Wayland boy and very proud of it. Went to Wayland Primary School, went to Wayland High School, and um, then once I left school in year eleven, I uh, was a footballer until two thousand. Looking back on on that with your mum being sixteen, do you have an appreciation of that now about how difficult <sighs> that must have been? Well, mum had four kids by the time she was twenty four. Hmm. Um, and I've got a 25-year-old daughter who's single. <laughs> I've got a 23-year-old daughter who's single. I've got a 27-year-old son who's engaged. But things are – I think uh, these days there's a lot more to do for kids, i.e. travel and um, getting around the place. and So their priorities aren't kind of what they were back in the 70s and 60s, which was family. Um, my dad came from a big family. Dad was the youngest of 10, 10 kids. Um, he was one of three boys and he had seven sisters and dad was the youngest. So, um, they kind of all frowned upon the fact that mum was so young when she got married and, um, and I'm, I'm one of not many people who can say they're at their parents' wedding. Mum was, <laughs> mum was three, three months pregnant with me when, uh, they got married. So I was obviously the reason they did that. Um, but look, I couldn't, I wouldn't change a thing for how it's all panned out. What kind of student were you at, uh, at school? I was very good. Yeah, I was a very good student. I um, I was always a teacher's pet, especially from kindergarten. I used to sit up the front with my my, uh, my legs crossed, put my hand up for all the questions. I'd get the we used to have milk deliveries back in them days. Yeah, I'd go get the milk um, for the teacher, and um, I was prefect in year six and sports captain and all that type of stuff. And I think uh, up until probably year nine was when I started to not be such a good student. I was. Uh, when I went to year seven at Wayland High School, they had 13 classes, and I was in 72. So they judged it by English 7, English 2. So yeah. I was in second highest. By the time I'd ended in year 10, I was in 10 E5. So I'd gone from <laughs> 2 to 5, but I still was a pretty studious um, you know, student. I, 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 I loved the learning. I loved English in particular. Um, I loved PE, obviously. Like, everyone loved that. Like PD, we learned at school. Yeah. Um, but then school kind of, yeah, I, I got sick of school when I realised that rugby league was what I wanted to do for, for my lifestyle. 
So when does footy first come into your life? Either as a as a, as a supporter or a player? Where where does? Um, obviously, as a uh, mum and dad were mad Parramatta fans. You know, when I grew up. Um, so I kind of, in the early days, up until maybe I don't know nine ten, I was a para fan as well. Used to go to Cumberland, Cumberland Oval, sit on the hill, and one of the first memories I have is is when the person would walk around calling out ice creams, ice creams, yep. and I'd say to mum and dad, "Why are they getting ice creams out of a hot bucket?" <laughs> and he said, "No, that's the ice. How cold it is? It's it's hot." So um, I would get the the cornetto or. And we'd have that, and uh, then once they took down Cumberland Oval, I remember I was at Wayland Primary School, and the teacher said, Mr. Brindley, my sixth grade teacher, he said, we're having a couple of uh, rugby league guests next week. And I said, oh, from Parramatta, sorry, all I knew was Parramatta. Yeah. He said, no, from um, Manly. And so this, these two players, called one was called Simon Booth, who was a centre winger for Manly back in the 70s, and, and the other one was Graham Eady. Um, so straight away, Manly became my favourite team. I thought if they've come out this way to Wayland to to come to us and 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 teach us how to play rugby league, I'm going to go for them. So Wombat Edie was my favourite player, and ironically, um, found out like mm, seven eight years later, his brother Keith Edie lived two doors down from my uncle um, at Patonga right. on the Central okay. Coast. So my uncle Dennis was um, neighbours with Keith Erty who gave me a, a manly jersey that Graham Erty wore. So all the, uh, the the irony of it all was um, that was kind of meant to be. I was always a rugby league. I started playing at at, at five for Whalen. Bloke, bloke across the road called Mark Cremona who was going to training and I, and I said, what are, you, like, what are you doing? He said, I'm playing. And so I played up a year in my first year in his team and and that was it. Played five years at Whalen. Then I played a few years at uh, Northbound Druitt. Um, a year at Rudy Hill, and then a year, two years at St Mary's to, before I went to grade. And of course, as, just as, as it turns out, uh, that's all obviously in the Penrith Junior District. So obviously, your focus starts to turn to the Panthers. That's uh, at some. Point. I, I remember Dodsy, um my first game that I went to at Penrith Park, and um, was was with Whalen under nines or under tens. The, you know, when the coaches take the whole team to the footy, yep. and Penrith back then didn't get sold out crowds like we do now. Um, we were we were a struggling team, but. The first thing I remembered was going down the the back of the hill on cardboard boxes, you know, having yeah. that. We we'll yeah. didn't watch much of the footy, <laughs> but I couldn't wait to get back to Penrith Park again. So we get on the boxes and and slide down the hill. Um, yeah, so I suppose the uh, at at probably twelve, I was a a state player for the PWSA. Jeff Bracken was my coach and had players like Mark Blackburn in my team. Um, Tyson Frizzell's dad, Andrew Frizzell, was the front rower. David Smith, who was all from, from Mount Druid, we played at a curtain raiser at the SCG in 1979 um, before the English and Australian Test match. So that was a bit of a buzz. Um, but then I had, a, then I lost a bit of interest in rugby league from about 13 to 15. I, I, I really grew tall, um, so I went from about five foot eight to six foot four in about two years, and I was really gangly and, and awkward. And so rugby league was wasn't a priority, and I was about to give it away when a mate said. Um, why don't you come play with us? Because I was playing the first division all my, all my my life. I played first division, and it was getting it was getting too hard. Hmm. Um, so he said, "We play. We're in third division at St Mary's, having fun. You know, under 15s I said, "Okay, I'll come over." Um, so I went over to St Mary's in the under 16s and we played a few trial games, and we won them against Parramatta teams, and they, they put us in first division. And that was when I kind of started thinking. Jamie Jones was my coach. Um, and he said, "Where do you play?" And I said, "Because I was sick. I was the tallest in the team." Yeah. 
I said, I play 5'8". He goes, as, as if. <laughs> you're not playing 5'8", here, buddy. You're too big for a 5'8". So um, he put, he said, get a pair of shoulder pads. I'm going to put you in the second row. And that was it. Jamie Jones put me in the second row. I never looked back and made a couple of rep sides that year. Um, I remember trying out for Jersey Flag the following year when I was 17 and uh, made that. And Tim, Tim Sheens happened to be at the game, that, that trial game and uh, at Blair Oval. And he said, mate, what's your name? And I said, told him and he said, how about how would you like to play on the twenty threes this year? That was in nineteen eighty five, and as a seventeen year old, I played every game that year on the on the bench, and got at least five or ten minutes. Next year, I was a captain of under twenty threes at eighteen in eighty six when we won. We got to the grand final and South beat us. And um, eighty seven, I, I started off um, with the first grade team, trial, training with them. Made my first grade debut in eighty seven, and. Uh, against the Bulldogs, and then I played 12 games, and they got pneumonia. Right, okay. So then I was out for six weeks, seven weeks, and then I come back in reserve grade, and Graham Murray's team went through and won the grand final, and um, yeah, so I'm I'm the only Panther to have ever played in three grand finals. Yeah, yeah. wow, okay. It's yeah. a good trivia question it for you. It's a very good <laughs> trivia question. Well, what are you doing for work around this time as well? Because obviously yeah. there's no full-time contracts going around at uh, this 100%. Stage. Yeah, well, I, um, I, I worked various jobs. When I first started playing grade at 17, I worked with a mate, Mark Shee, he, um, for B&G Welding at, at Blacktown. Yep. I was like a boilermaker's assistant. Um, good money for a 17-year-old back then. Well, I, um, and then I started working with my mum. She worked at um, Travenor Laboratories at Toongabi, which is now called Baxter. I worked there for uh, 18 months. Again, good money. And the best thing about it was that here I was a 17-year-old, 17 years of age, and there's a 1,000 people work there, and there was only 50 bikes. So <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> Pretty good odds, right? <laughs> that was great. Christmas, <laughs> Christmas parties were good. Um, yeah, and then... I made grade the next year. Uh, then I started to take things seriously. Once I made first grade in 87, um, Timmy Sheen said, I wouldn't mind you working closer to, you know, because I was, when I was working away from, I'd get up at 6.30 in the morning, travel to Toongabi, uh, to leave at 2.30, come home, have a half an hour sleep, then go to training. And I was always buggered. So Sheen's organised me for the, to work in maintenance at the club with uh, the late, great Stevie Waddell. Kenny Gittens, remember Kenny Gittens yep, from, from yep. Queensland? So us three were kind of the maintenance crew. You know, Waddy was the tradesman and me and Kenny were the TAs. We'd go around and change light globes and, um, yeah, it was great. And I, I loved working at the club. You know, every Monday, they would, me and Waddy would go up into the roof and have a sleep after a big Sunday night. And and then I moved, once I got moved on from marketing, uh, sorry, from maintenance, I went into marketing. Um, didn't know much about marketing, you know. Simo was, was my boss. Um, had people like Carl Letty there, and um, yeah, it was just a bizarre type of arrangement for me to be in because I had. I remember Simo said, "We've got this magazine, big fella." Um, yeah, this is the old Panthers magazine. The old Panthers yep, magazine. Yep. Qu- quite simply, what you've got to do, you've got to sell ads for this. Yep. I said, "Okay." So, what anywhere? He said, "Yeah." So I, I knew a bloke at the Pioneer Tavern who had a hairdressing sale, a, a barber shop in um, Katoomba. Yeah. So I said, bra bra, I'm going to come up and see you on Monday um, about buying a, an ad in the because uh, I've got to do that's my job. He said, yeah, come up. He said, I've no worries. So I went up. and I said, this is the size ad in the in the mag. You know, I think it cost 120 bucks for him to run over three months. Yeah, and he paid me cash. 
they gave me the money. I went, oh, how good's this job? I put it in my pocket. You know, it was gone in three days, sold it and uh, spent it and it's done. And uh, somehow about two weeks later, he said, that ad, that ad you put in the magazine for the hedger, the, the barbershop in Katoomba, he said, looks good. Oh, he said, where's the money for it? I said, what do you mean? He said, well, what is the, the invoice? Or I said, oh, no, he's got cash. He just gave it to me. I thought that's how I got paid. He said, no, we So it's safe to say that I didn't have much of a career in marketing. But um, then when I started to get better at footy, um, I, I, I turned towards schools, you know, doing coaching clinics at schools and stuff yeah. with, with, the, you know, with other blokes. And I really enjoyed that. That's what I really loved. I loved going out on a Monday, Wednesday, Friday and going to say, you know, or, Regentville Primary School and just doing coaching clinics. I don't think we do enough of them these days at schools, but um, that's another story for another day. And of course, you happen to come into first grade at a time when uh, when things are starting to turn around for Penrith after a few dismal decades, to be honest. And you're part of that that playing group that we all know that goes on to win the the '91 title of the um, you know Greg Alexander, Steve Carter, John Carter, right? Just a great group of players. Yep. Um, Let's let's go into the sort of the, that 1989-1999 part. First of all, what was the feeling around the the club at that time? Was it that you'd finally arrived, kind of on the scene, that that Penrith was was now a team to be not to be messed with versus the easy beats of the past? I I, I truly think so. But there were some some really um, standout moments that made it happen that way. Um, we had a so say from '86 when I um, played. One game in first grade at the end of the year against Parramatta. Their last game was at Parramatta Stadium. It was um, Mick Cronin and Ray Price's last games, and they ended up winning the comp that year. Um, so 87 was my first and only year with Timmy Sheens. I learned so much off Tim Sheens. You know, he was the first coach who he brought a lot of things back from America, i.e. group training with everybody. So every Tuesday night we'd have um, first grade, reserve grade, under-23s all trained together. Um, and do skill work. One one skill for forty five minutes would be you know defensive orientated games. Um, he really brought professionalism in when professionalism wasn't the status quo in rugby league. Um, he left abruptly um, before I really got a chance to learn a lot under Timmy because I loved the way he he treated me as a player. And we heard this coach was coming to Penrith called Ron Willie. And I'd I'd heard about Ron because I was a Manly fan, so I knew Ron Coach Manly. I knew is you know a hard ass. And with with Ron, he was bringing these players who I'd watched from afar: Chris Mortimer, Peter Kelly, Neil Baker, um, Penguin Bradley, Graham Bradley. Um, and they for, so for the nineteen eighty eight preseason, we kind of changed overnight. We went from this this meek and mild bunch of local juniors to this. Bit bit of aggro at training, you know. Like yeah. and Ron, Ron Willie first said to me, "I was, I was nineteen, and straight away he started calling me Mountain. He said, Mountain, I want you to be the bloke that every other team is scared of.' And our first game away that year in '88 was um, at Brisbane. And Brisbane had just beat Manly in the first game of the '88 season. Manly won the comp in '87, and I was sitting in my chair talking, you know, talking to whoever I sit next to. Usually it was either Cardi or Brandy or. Or Vandervoort, Cole Vandervoort, or Cole Bentley, Barry Walker, um, and I saw the fox. That was his nickname, Ronnie Willie. They called him the fox. He was walking up to me with a um, like looked like he had a box of shoes in his hands. And I'm sitting there, and he said, "Mountain." I said, "Yeah, Ronnie." He goes, "I want you to put these on." I said, "What are they?" And he goes, "They're shoes." I said, well, "I've got shoes, Ron." He said, "No, I want you to put these ones on when you get off the plane. Put your ones in the box and carry the box out with you if you have to." 
So I put these shoes on and I stood up on the plane and they're like, you know, the old Barter Scout, yeah. the Barter Scout shoes, the black ones with yeah. the big heels we used to wear to school. Well, I'm six foot four and when I put these heels on, they made me seven foot. Like yeah. that was honestly. So I'm ducking to get out the, out, the, <laughs> out of the plane. So this is the first time I've ever seen mind games being played and it happens to be me who was involved in it. The next next day at the um, on the front page of the Courier Mail, it, I was on the front page of the paper. It said the, the, a mountain comes to take on the king because Ron Will, uh, Wally Lewis was the star of the Broncos. But Ron Willie, in his wisdom and his, his years of experience, knew that the mind games were just as important as the real game. So they only beat us eight six or something. We had a really good game. But what we learnt from Peter Kelly, Chris Mortimer, Alan McIndoe. Neil Baker, Graham Bradley, then that core group of players was not to be these these local juniors from Penrith who were just making up the numbers. We actually, he taught, taught they all taught us how to be tough and to not be disrespected by anybody because with this satellite city, you know, way out west, everyone thought of Penrith, they went, oh, what, all the way out there. Kind of like yeah. we think of Lithgow now. And it's interesting because that, Almost history repeats itself 30 years later because this current team, this current Penrith team, uh, you know, there's a few stories that go around about, oh, they're too arrogant, they're, they're muggling. But that's almost a deliberate situation to go, well, no, we, we aren't going to be walked over. 100%. And, uh, and it's worked. So, and it, and it worked back then too. So, uh, it seems like critics just, you know, they want you to sit in the corner and play nice, but uh, well, that's, I, not, I that's think, not how it works. I think Penrith did for 30 years. Yeah. It, you know, up until, what, 25 years we, we took to win the comp. Um I think we did. I think we played nice. And I think we tried to be part of the competition because we're just happy to be there. Yeah. But once we started getting a caliber of player like Peter Kelly and Chris Mortimer coming to our club, we, you know, blokes like myself and Cardi, Peter Kelly was like a godsend. We knew that every every scrum we went into, no forward in that scrum pack, yeah, was going to take it over us because we had Peter Kelly. The back line felt the same when you run out in the footy field and you see Chris Mortimer running out in the. Every back felt empowered. Yeah. You know, so that's how the, the Stevie Carter learned so much off um, Chris Mortimer. Um, you know, Brad Izzard, Brandy, all these local juniors who were fantastic. We just kind of went next level with them. And um, we made the finals in 88 under Ron. We, um, in 89, we made the finals. Uh, we had some ferocious games against Balmain at Leichhardt Oval. Um in eighty nine, ninety ninety, obviously the the history is there that we went, we got to the grand final, and I think even though Ron Willie wasn't there in nineteen ninety, um, the fact that he'd brought Peter Kelly to the club and Chris Mortimer to the club was the reason we were there in nineteen ninety. And there's a bit of that history repeating again in in two thousand and three, where Roy Simmons had coached that team yep. for so long and brought a lot of those players through. Nineteen ninety, it's been talked about a lot, but the community itself. Goes off it. Oh. it go, you know, make the grand final, and it was it was the modern day grand final parade that you'd won it because uh, the city had a well, did have a parade down the main street before the game. Uh, schools, we, schools we went c- crazy. We had civics receptions. We yeah. had we had something planned every day of the week to go to before the grand final. And when you look back on that now, mm. do you think that did contribute oh, yeah. to what happened on the day? Without a doubt, without a doubt, we we, we, were, dis- we were so distracted that all of a sudden the game was here. You know, and we didn't we didn't respect the grand final like we should have. Um, and similarities are still there with the, the current crop. You know, they were there in one, yeah. and and, to, and and a lot of people say you've got to win one, lose one to win one. History will tell you that that happens sometimes. Yeah. Um, I think it's the respect you pay the, the the occasion that gets to you. We so we we used to always have a drink on a Thursday night with, under Ron Willie's regime. We'd 
it'd make us bring a change of clothes on a Thursday night. We'd go to the Australian Arms. It's a everyone's got to have at least two two beers. You know, the squad of seventeen, whatever it was, you've got to have two beers, then you can do go on your own way. If you want to have a lemon squash, fair enough, but have two of them. Yeah. So that turned into a bit of a bonding session without us even knowing it. Then we'd go to the club, the dollar drink night. No training on Friday. Saturday morning, we'd do a bo- uh, captain's run, a um, bit of touch footy, a bit of this. Everyone would be talking about how good a night we had. And then yeah. Sunday, we'd play. We'd, we wouldn't lose many games because yeah. of the mateship. We'd, we'd, you know, Ron Willie bought it. So we were used to having drinks on Thursday nights, but in the week of a grand final, um, we went down to the Regent uh, for the grand final breakfast on the, I think it was the Thursday. And so we're down there Wednesday night, and Gus is just, you know, gives us laying down the law. Gus was 32 years of age. A lot of people forget. Mm. He'd already won a comp four years earlier at 28. Yeah, at Canterbury. At yeah. Canterbury. So this is a bloke telling us, look, guys, um, you're in a big day on Sunday. you got to, you know, enjoy tonight. You know, go to this is a swank hotel. Go up and have a couple of beers with each other. Um, then hit, hit the hay and let's get out there and let's eye these, balls off, eye these boys off tomorrow and, and make sure that we show intent. Well, we we didn't. We, we went straight to each other and said, who's, who's, who's room? How much are we going to drink? How much are we going to order? And we ended up, I think, going to Kyle Bentley's room. Um, not the whole squad. Uh, I think there was about 12 of us who went to this room, and we looked at the menu. We said, oh, oh man, let's get four of them, 10 of them. There's seafood platters. was Dong, yeah. Dong Perring Yong, $1,000 bottle of champagne. <laughs> um, so we'll, we'll dance up a storm. We'll play music. A lot of us had our girlfriends or wives who were overseas on Katuki tours. Ringing them, reverse reverse chill from the hotel <laughs> for twenty minutes. You know, it was just we just were buggers. Um, and then about three o'clock in the morning, there was a knock on the door, and we were sitting around the lounge and dancing and singing. And we said, someone said, Smitty, because he was the closest. Have a look. Who's that? Is it room service again? Smitty went over with a beer in his hand and he looked through the peephole and he went, "It's, it's fucking, it's Gus." <laughs> we went, "What? Oh, it's the last bloke we expected to hear." So you picture 12 grown men jumping over lounges, putting beers on the lounges, hiding behind curtains, and Gus uh, you know, kept knocking. So Smitty out let him in. He said, hey, hey, Gus. He said, hey, Smitty. He said, hey, boys, who are the other boys who are in here, we, I, can see, I can see a lot of you. MJ, I can see your head sticking above that, <laughs> that, that light shade. I said, yep, that's me. He, he said, I've only got two words for you, boys, and that's well, a few words for you. He said, you've just lost the grand final. We went, oh, that's a, that's a bit dramatic, isn't it? Um, but that proved to be right because we got out in the grand final and we were so emotional that we. You know what, Dodgy? I've never watched the back, so I don't. I can't tell. You never you watched I, the nineteen ninety grand final. No, like, so I can't tell you much about it. I don't know if we're in the game. I, I don't even remember the score. I, I don't remember the score. Eighteen fourteen. So really? Yeah, that close? Yeah, it was pretty close. Yeah, yeah, I just remember crying. I remember getting told before the game. Um, you would have seen the image of you after the game, though. Obviously. Of course, it's pretty iconic of you in tears. Of course, and I got told before the game that if um, it's out of me and Gary Coyne, um, there's 27 who were picked for the, the Kangaroo Tour. Yeah, and it was out of me and him for that last spot on the on the plane. And I've always wanted to go on a Kangaroo Tour, and once we got beaten, that was kind of more so. I'm going, well, that's my chance gone. Yeah, um, but word got back to me, and I've, we went back to the club and. Don Felders made an announcement over the PA saying that, uh, you know, even though it's a bad night for the club, we got beaten in our first grand final. We have got some good news that four of our Panthers have been selected to go on the Kangaroo Tour. And they are Greg Alexander, Brad Fittler, Johnny Cartwright, and then there's a pause. And everyone went, oh, it must be Scarter or Vandy or someone, and said, and Mark Guy. I went, what? 
so the 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 agony turned to ecstasy, you know, in in, in a minute because it, that was always my dream. And within two days, I was on a plane going to England, mm. and um, the grand final loss was out out of my psyche. And going away with these players who, because don't forget, Dodgy, we didn't have every game televised back yep. in the in the eighties and nineties. I think Foxtel came in in ninety five, which yep. made every game available. So um, we could we would always hear about this this bloke in in Canberra called Laurie Daly and um, this bloke up in Brisbane called you know Langer and this other bloke called Lazarus and this bloke in the city called Blocker Roach and and then you'd only see them play maybe once a month on TV because it was mm. se- select games got picked on yeah. uh, Saturday games so then we got we assembled at the, the airport and we went away and we kind of the four of us from Penrith we grew an inch because we we saw that these guys were just like us they 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 missed their families um, they 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 had down days, they had up days, and it made us a little bit empowered. We came back to the news that we changed our jerseys, went from the Chocolate Soldiers to the Licorice All Sorts, which yep. we loved. We, we all loved the jerseys. We put them on in the pre-season, trial, uh, pre-season competition, and we, we got beaten in the grand final by the Broncos up at Darwin. But we knew we had something different. We knew that we, yeah. knew that we were on the Sunday. I think we lost four games in 91. The thing about that 91 grand final, and I mentioned it to Brandy, who's been a guest on um, on the podcast as well, and go back and listen to that episode, yeah. is that when you watch that game, there's times where you go, I don't think we're going to win this. This is <laughs> just, I, I, I like, thought... Are you sure we win this? Because I know. Canberra were very much on top. Um, and it was there a feeling, though, and I know you went to the sin bin, we know all of that story, but was there a feeling, that, particularly when you came back from the bin, that we just can't go through this again, we have to find a way to win? When I got back from the bin, yes. When, it was, when the score stayed what it was... Um, but even up to that, even when I'm when I'm we're peppering their line and and Mal Meningas tackled Greg Barwick and Brad Izzard within an inch. I'm going, this wasn't meant to be. Yeah. I'm screaming at myself saying, we're going to lose this. We're, we're losing in a grand final. There's like eight minutes to go on the, on the clock. Whatever it was, um, the moment Bra- the moment we had this move that I come back from the sorry, it was earlier than that because I I hadn't been simbing when I'm thinking this. We're, we're, when I got simbing, I thought that was. At first, I thought Bill Harrigan sent me off. Yeah, I thought. Well, what were you complaining to? to well, Bill I, I said that I said that um, the, the the touch bud, touch judge Martin Weeks was a cheat. <laughs> I said because we we scored a legitimate try. Yeah, and, and which back. was yeah, it was. Yep, there was no percent. There's no way they, they lost the ball. Um, and I said you don't want us to win this game because we're from Penrith. And I said Martin, you I said Weeks, you're a cheat. You are you are you are cheating because that was. And when Bill said you're off, I went. In the grand final, I'm off. And he said, 10 minutes, see you in 10. So I'm walking up the race, and that 10 minutes went for about two hours, it felt like. I was just going, oh, my goodness. And then I come back out in the field, and it's still 12-6, you know. So we've we'd held our own. And the game that I have watched a thousand times back, yeah. not like 1990, <laughs> and I watched the I watched our forward pack who, who, when, I was on, when I was off. Roy Simmons, Nobby Clark, Paul Dunn, Barry Walker, Johnny Cartwright, Cole Vandervoort. They just tackled their asses off. And it kind of they I come on with, I don't know, twenty minutes to go and you could you could see them look at me and go, here we go. I'm fresh as a daisy, I've got yeah. all this adrenaline running through me and I we we used to have a um a set move called North Sydney. And we and they called that and I'm going, oh, I I'm supposed to be in this, but where? Where am I supposed to be in it? So I, all of a sudden I've got this ball from Greg Barwick and I'm supposed to go through as a decoy. So I got it and I heard Freddie go, MG, MG, and I threw a ball around Steve Walters, 
Freddie hit the hole, gave it to Brad Izzard under the post. There we go, 12 all. That was the first time I thought we are going to win the grand final. Mm. Then when Brandy kicked the field goal, that was kind of when it really hit home, but it didn't yeah. hit home until Royce... I got the ball from the dropout, and I thought I was going to score a try. Yeah. I thought, how good's this? <laughs> and I heard it again. I heard MG, MG, because the Mount Meninga was loitering back on the grand on the try line, tackled me about a metre from the line, and saw Royce out the corner of my eye and threw the ball to him. When he scored that try, I have never felt more jubilant in my life. There's, I've had five kids. Every one of them has been a blessing, and I've had ecstasy of, of, of seeing them. But it's a different feeling. You know, after what happened the year before in 1990 – and then going out and winning the comp like we did, it was I screamed that loud of in jubilation that I, I, I fractured my larynx, so I, was, I, could, I, I couldn't talk. <laughs> I thought, hey, we, I, but I didn't care because we partied like there was no tomorrow. And you're a big party, or is it the is it the hardest you've ever partied? Hardest, hardest. Well, I've never I, been topped. I lost my I lost my passport <laughs> and couldn't go to England, unfortunately. So we went up the Gold Coast. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So it was either a choice of going to England to play in the Challenge Cup, <laughs> no, or going to the Gold Coast with five or six of my mates plus a couple of players and partying up there for a week. It was, and then we partied. We we partied like it was no tomorrow. We um, when we got word that there was people all the way back to Strathfield lining the M4, that was you know we, uh, I, I I can't explain. It was just, it's something that will stay with me forever, and I'm I'm glad that I'm, it's been my best sporting moment by a mile, by a mile. Yeah. Obviously, tragedy hits the club and you personally in, in 1992 yeah. uh, with the death of Ben Alexander. Um, for you, and I, I asked Brandy this as well, how was it dealing with the grief given that the entire city, I mean, that that, that accident obviously rocked yeah. the entire community and you had to share that grief with them. It wasn't it wasn't your classic, um, a personal situation that you're going through that you can, you can no. deal with and compartmentalise and all of that. You had to deal with all of the media attention and the community attention that came with it. How tough was that? Oh, ex- look, it's extremely. It's even it's even tough to talk about it. You know, it's um, one of them things that just rocked us to the core and um, everyone had their own <clears throat> um, ways to deal with the, the grief. Mine was um, just to not even think about playing footy. It was the last thing on my mind once that happened. And I um, and, and, and then you talk about the media. Yeah, that was one of the reasons we, we had... Um, Vigils most nights out the front of Brandy's house there at um, the Rumor Street, this old house. We had bonfires, and some nights we'd have two hundred people there. You know, mm-hmm. just. To, but then once the, the after about a week, when the the crowd started to dissipate, the media started to rock up on York Road and have you can see the big lenses out, just trying to get photos of the family and photos of us. And um, Brandy's got a good mate called Pugs who travelled a lot, and he said, "Where can we go right now that?" Will be no one knows you know no one will know us, and he said probably the Greek islands. You know we go to Eos. Um, we I'd never heard of it. Yeah. So about f- five of us I think went to uh, Eos, and <laughs> the irony of that again is that we jumped off this. We've been travelling for two days, and you know a night in Germany, a night in Greece before we went on the, the seven-hour boat ride to Eos, um, and then we've rocked up this you know this port. And we're going up to the town, and it was just—it was so old, and and it was beautiful around the water. Was beautiful, but the, we didn't give a damn. We were, we were we were angry. Walked into a bar, this Aussie bar we saw, and on the TV, you know, forty-eight hours from our home was this nineteen ninety-one grand, uh, nineteen ninety-one Origin with me and Wally. 
could not believe it. <laughs> the bloke at the bar said, MG, what are you doing here? And we told him. He goes, oh, fuck, what? He couldn't believe it. He didn't hear. Hadn't, yeah. hadn't found out yet. Right. Hadn't found out that what had happened to Ben. So, yeah, Dodgy, it's 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 made it's you know Ben would be fifty now, um, and every year of, of either his accident or his birthday comes around, and um, it, it gets it gets harder. It, it doesn't get easier because as we're getting older, we know that you know there's a, there's so much that we wanted him to to see as mm-hmm. well with our families, and yeah, it's it's just a, it's a it's a, a thing you wouldn't wish upon your worst enemy. What what the family went through, and of course, it changes your path. Completely, on the path of many others, as we right. know, and you end up at Balmain. Um, you've been on the record as saying not a happy time. The worst, yeah. Was the, I didn't want to play footy. You know, Alan. No one really wanted me because they they word got word got around that I was of a, I turned into a volatile person. And um, uh, one person did, but Alan Jones. He said, "Oh, you know, the Tigers will take him on." So I went down to his Newtown Terrace and signed the dotted line. And every day I went to training there. We train at three o'clock most days, so I'd leave Penrith about one every day. I'd, dr- I'd drive there on the M4 because it was before it was only two lanes. I'd, I'd think about how how I could get out of the training. You know, it was yeah. one day I eventually said I was in a traffic jam and I said stuff it. So I'd, well, it was grid to grid. And I just ran up the ass of the car in front of me and said, oh, <laughs> really? and luckily for me, it was like, we weren't travelling you know, yeah, fast, yeah. but the trainer. The head trainer who was coming from Campbelltown went past and said, "MG, I'll tell AJ that you won't be at training." I said, "Oh, it was one of my happier days." So I got out of training. Yeah. I, I, I despised it. Um, but while I was at Balmain, I signed. I had a call from Peter Mulholland and uh, Gordon Allen, who were starting up this new franchise called the Western Reds. Mm. And that obviously in '95, all those new teams were coming in, and they said, "We want you to be part of it." You and Brad, we've identified you and Brad McKay as our two marquee signings. Um, so I didn't tell Jonesy that, and I, so I said, yep, three-year deal, 180 grand a year, you know, I signed. Um, went over to Perth, and well, I played, at, rewind, I went to your minor in 1994 for a yep. year. That was, you know, that was, again, wild days. Um, but then in that time, we became pregnant, me and my wife became pregnant with our first kid, and um, we went over, Meigs went to Perth, we went over to Perth in late 94, very heavily pregnant. Uh, stayed in a hotel for two weeks, just, you know, got back to a, some normality, bought a house uh, quickly. And within two games over there, we we, we learned that Super League was upon us. Yeah. So we kind of went from this Western Reds to saying that, you know what, we can't afford to – because back then, Western Reds had to pay for every other team to come over. Yeah. Their airfares, their hotel. Oh, yeah. Not the NRL. Not, not the ARL, not the New South Wales yeah. Rugby League, but them. Yeah. So they were they were broken to in in two months. Yeah. Um. So we went to the Super League. I, I went from 180 grand a year to 600 grand a year. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, was, it was a great time to be well, in, uh, in football, right? I went from broke. Yeah. To buying a house on the beach. Yeah. And um, things happen for reasons, I, I believe. And um, then Western Reds. We're about to fold in 1997, the end of it. Yeah, and you get to come back home. I had to put my tail between my legs, and there's a lot of bridges I had to mend yep. um, with a lot of people because I left in in not real good terms with a lot of people who I would have had to who I was about to see again for the first time. Yeah, and I had to ring all them. Um, so a lot of those faces were still around the club. In, oh, in, in most, official roles. Most and, were. Yeah, yeah, most were. Yeah. Most were, were in some capacity. Um, even Simo was sceptical. He yep. said, mate, big fella, you know, I've, I've, I've seen the bloke you've become and it's, it's scary. I said, I, I promise I've changed. So I've got, you know, I've got three kids now. Um, 
which I had. I had changed. And once I, when I was in Perth, I had my first kid. I wasn't this guy who was that 93, 94 bloke. You know, them two years were the mm. worst two years of my life. Um, so, yeah, I, I turned thir- – I come back as a 30-year-old. I went from being – I went away being this young kid who won a comp to basically coming back as a mentor to Tony Pultor, Frank Pultor, Ned Kadich, and, um, you know – all these other young blokes, Reese Wesser, who I, I loved it. Yeah. I loved it. Um, the last three years here were three of my most enjoyable. And uh, I look back at fondly. I look back on the three years I had back here uh, just as fondly as I look at the the first four or five years I had before I left. Of course, uh, post-footy, um, you you, end, you stay in Penrith. Um, I'm guessing you, you're you never going to leave Penrith. You no. feel that, that the Penrith community is, is home. You've got a house there in South Penrith and that's not the far, base. Not far from your parents, that's brother. It, yes, yes. That's the base. That's never, never going. Never going. No, I, I, I love it. I've um, my my mantra was when I first uh, retired was to I wanted to be in the media. I, I, I got told that you know I did a bit while I was playing a bit on the footy show, a bit of that. Um, and I said to myself, I'm never going to say no to anything. So my first gig was to do something with C ninety one point three in Campbelltown. Yep. On a Friday and a Monday, I'll, I'll do a review and a preview, and um, then I work with. ABC Radio on Sideline Eye. Uh, then I was in the box with 2GB for a while, 2UE, um, 2SM. Then I got a job with my current employer, um, which was to Triple M, in 2007, doing Dead Set Legends on a Saturday with yep. Rabs and Billy Birmingham and Dan Ganane. And So that was it. Done started Brecky Radio 2009. Um, left that in 2018. Done my own show for four years with the Rush Hour. Now I'm back on Brecky, where I get the... It's changed a bit, dodgy because now what COVID brought us was that you can do a lot of things from home. Yes. I.e., they set me up a studio at my gym. They set up a studio yeah. at my home, so I do... And month- there was a time they would have tried to hide that. Of but course. these days, it's, like, well, it's pretty expected that that's the yes. possibility to happen. How, how good. <laughs> yeah. How good. Like, yeah. I mean, COVID wasn't good. COVID sucks. Of course. But, yeah, for that, they've set up a studio and stuff, and I can do that. I, I do Mondays... Um, and Thursdays usually from from home, yep. um, and then the rest of the days I go in the studio. And of course, MG Active. Um, you you started this gym. We used to see the Instagram and Facebook videos of you just at home. Uh, you'd, you'd get a whiteboard up. <laughs> a few mates had come around, <laughs> yeah. and, and these are the uh, the exercises for the day. It was. Um, it, was wild, it was Wild Panther Fitness then. Yeah, and that's obviously where it all started. Yeah, it was. You, you decided then to to open up the gym on um, on York Road, and uh, how's that all going? Um, well, yeah, to, to the first part of that, yeah, it was I, I, I converted my carport into a, to a gym in 2014, um, and I started off with a mate coming over to, to work out that turned into 10 mates. Um, and then in about 2018, when I left the brekkie show, I started to think about opening up a gym. So I was looking at potential, uh, locations around the Penrith area and, I used to go to Kingsgrove Sports all the time for my kids. You know, they, I used to go there for netballs and footballs and cricket gear, and um, they were a great bunch of people. And they, one day I was in there, he said, I'm, we're moving out. I said, oh, fair dinkum. And so it was up for lease, and I went, oh, this is this is it. I'm, di- I'm going to dive in. Signed a five, five-year five lease on it. Um, my son and uh, daughter, Logan and Montana, both run the gym with me. They've, yep. they've both got their Cert 3 and Cert 4s as well. Um, yeah, and basically, Dodzy, what's different about MG Active is that um, there's no mirrors at our gym, so that that means there's no expectations and no one's looking at themselves thinking I should be doing something better because it's 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 I, I kind of look at it as more of a club than a gym. Yeah, you know, we've got two hundred and I opened the gym. Um, I think twenty 
2020, the first uh, in March. So the first <laughs> the first batch of COVID was about to hit us. Yeah, I've been closed for six months out of the um, out of the two years we've been open, two and a half years. Yeah. But um, good landlords, Rain Horn looked after us. Thanks to Cole Henry, because without that, you were, we were stuffed. But yeah, I, I love it. Um, about to do a challenge. Uh, so if anyone wants to join the challenge, it's uh, this. Starts this Saturday. I'm not sure when this will air, but well, it'll probably be on already. But uh, that doesn't mean they can't come and yeah, come come to the gym. You know, honestly, five day free trial. Go to our website if you want, and uh, I can guarantee that one time you come to the gym and do a class with like minded people, you'll never look back. Two more questions. Number one, and this this one is going to get you, um, I'm sure, thinking. But uh, we'll see how you go. We've been talking in the office about how you've got all these series now. Obviously, Michael Jordan um, with The Last Dance yeah. and uh, winning time at the LA Lakers. And isn't, that, isn't that good? Yeah, it's great. And we've come up with Chocolate Soldiers uh, to talk about that era of the, uh, the 80s, 90s. Love it. Love and it. Uh, we want to know who you would like to play you in this series. Wow. Wow, wow. Well, well what, out of the current players or an actor? No, no, an actor. Oh, an actor. Which, which uh, actor would you like to be? Uh, well, I suppose, uh, look, I, I think Hugh Jackman's got to shave his head and grow a beard. <laughs> I think it's, I've got to go, I've got to go to the top. Uh, similar physiques. I've got very yeah. tall, we're both tall yeah. and slim. Um, so Hugh Jackman will be the top of the, top of the tree. And uh, look, he's, I, I, I love, uh, I love these series. I love the fact that there's a lot of these going around. I, I think um, Magic Johnson's actually about to do one. Yep. Scotty Pippen's doing one. I think Stan's actually following the uh, rise of the Dolphins and Wayne Bennett as well. So, wow. Uh, to do a to do a an that's Aussie a, NRL one. Which yeah, well, they're, they're, they're the way. They're, that's all mine. That's you know Netflix and Stan and stuff. It's it's changed the way I watch TV. You Absolutely. Know? Yep. What's your favourite series of all time oh, on oh, Netflix? What do you like? I'd Game of Thrones, that. man. Oh, more of an Ozark. Kind of, how oh, good's Ozark? Know, Breaking Bad. Oh, you know, Ozark. Well, sort of that's Walter. I'm Walter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What about Ozarks? They reckon the next seven episodes are supposed to be the best TV yeah. you'll ever see. Yeah. Are you are you a binger or are you a week to week watcher? You prefer to watch week to week. Binger. Binger. Because I'm just I'm, I've just watched um, Gaslit. Yes. With, okay. uh, th- the first episode. I went. Where's Where's more? Yeah. But it's week to, it's week to week. So no, I sit. Me, Meigs, we love watching uh, like five or six in a row. And we find ourselves is it is it ten thirty at night already? <laughs> but yeah, that's we love uh, our Netflix. Last question, and um, and it is an interesting one because you have had so many, I guess, iterations of, of yourself over the, over the years, known as the the fire brand, and then turned it all around, family man, business owner. How would you like to be remembered in Penrith? Um, uh, loyal. I'm a very loyal man. Um, I'm a very generous man, and um, I, I care a lot about other people. So I, I, I want to. If, if I've never really thought about what I want on my headstone, because. <laughs> Um, that's a bit a little bit morbid, but I think I just a bloke who who loved his family to pieces, and, and the family are my life. Everything about my life is is um, revolves around my family, and I think people when they look back at me, they'll think I'm a, I was a gentle giant who gave a damn. Good on the MG. Well, we could talk for hours, but uh, we will leave it there. Thank you very much for uh, joining us on on the record. Keep up the great work, Dodgy. You're kicking bar. Kick, you're kicking ass, brother. Thank you, mate. And I hope you enjoyed our chat. On the record is produced by the Western Weekender. To hear future episodes, search Western Weekender wherever you listen to podcasts, and make sure you hit subscribe. Check out westernweekender.com.au, and we'll see you next time.